0: we behold you, Lord. You are beautiful in everything, Lord. You are beautiful in everything. As you're standing, I just want you to to stand in awe of who God is to you, just for a moment. We're going to share communion in a bit. I really want you to just come to a place where you behold who he is in your life. And I know some of us have let go, and I know some of us are fighting things, but the beauty is that you can behold him. The beauty is that he sees you for who you are, and he is madly in love with you. So Lord, we behold you right now, and we just say that, Lord, you are so beautiful. You are so beautiful. If you just quickly want to grab your seat, and if your family's around you, quickly gather around them. The communion team will be going around, and as they're going around, I just want to share two things with you, and I want to encourage you, take communion with your family, pray with one another, And I want to read this, and just to give context quickly, John 5, first part of the chapter, he feeds the 5,000. Second part, he does this thing where he walks on water. And then the third section is such an amazing part, but the title is, Jesus, the bread of life. So when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, where did you get here? And Jesus simply answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the, God the Father has placed the seal of approval. And then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? And church, this is my encouragement this morning. Jesus simply answered, The work of God is this, To believe in the one that he has sent. So they asked him, What sign will you then give us? So that we may see and believe. What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. And it is written, you gave them the bread from heaven to eat. But Jesus responded and he said this. Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. But it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So I want to encourage you this morning, as you're taking communion, Jesus is able to give life to your family this morning. He's able to give life where there seems to be nothing. So as you share communion this morning, my encouragement is just pray that Jesus brings life in your family. Um, And I want to encourage you to do that. If your kids are around, pray over them. Pray the life of Jesus over them. Husband and wife, pray for each other that the life is there. And if you are alone, you grab someone else and just pray that the life of Jesus fills you up this morning. So I'll give you guys a few minutes. Spend some time with your family, and we'll take it from there. So this morning, Lord, we come before you as a family, and we just say thank you for who you are in our lives. Thank you that no matter what we go through, you are the center of it all. We know that you are beautiful. We love you. We behold you this morning. Come and have your way in this place this morning. You give us the joy that we need to get up every day. You are the life in us, Lord Father, So we just say thank you, thank you, thank you this morning. We are in awe of who you are, Lord God. We are in awe. In your name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much, guys. Wow. It's really good seeing you all this morning here. This morning we're going to... It's just a little bit of, if you're visiting us for the first time, um, we, just, we just want to share the goodness of God this morning. Is that okay? Um, we've got two testimonies lined up this morning. I know, right? Woo! <laughs> if the kids are excited, hey, come on, man, get on board you guys. <laughs> um, so I think I'm going to call William up quickly first. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Um, He's very nervous this morning, so I'm going to stand right by him. (laughs) Here we
1: are, brother I I
0: don't know. (laughs) Um,
1: Hello, everyone. Uh, My name is William Ross, and I would just like to share something with you guys today. Um, I always considered myself a Christian growing up, yet I never really knew God or had a relationship with him. When I was younger, I I never really wanted to go to church. I'd rather spend my time watching Paw Patrol (laughs) than learning about God. Fast forward to grade seven in school, I had two friends, Tatum and Tatum, and they started attending youth here at the father's house. The youth pastor, the youth pastor Marlon, always encouraged them to invite new people to join. They then invited me to join them on Friday nights. But every time I asked my mom to join Tatum and Tatum's youth, she said I, I must rather stay at our current church and youth. I wouldn't say I hated that church. I just didn't feel at home there. The following year in grade 8, my mom told me that the, my church didn't want me to become a member. So then, she then agreed that I could go to the Father's house youth. I was so excited about our answer as I had been always wanting to go to the youth and attend the church. As I started attending the church in youth, I felt myself becoming closer to God. Fast forward to this year in grade 9, I encountered God for the first time. It was in our Sunday morning service where during ministry, people were being prayed for and anointed. That day I gave my heart to the Lord and got saved. (laughs) I then went up to Marlon for prayer as he anointed me I really felt like God was standing next to me And hugging my heart and soul in that moment I started tearing up and my body started shaking And I really felt God's presence I always used to question if God was real or not But after that moment I never questioned my faith again Then I asked Marlon after the service if I could get baptized He said they would announce it Four months later, they finally announced it. And I went straight to Didi to ask if I could get baptized. After the baptism, I felt happier. When I changed into my dry clothes, Auntie Chauvet mentioned that some people describe the feeling as being lighter. During the day, I didn't think that I, that described how I felt. But after a few days, I really summarized how I actually felt. My personality didn't change, but the most important thing did. I changed my mindset towards Christ. I actually started seeing everything in the world through a different perspective. I was really shy talking about Christ and having conversations about faith. But now I'm willing to preach about Christ to my friends and family. I feel more free to talk about my faith. And I'm excited to change even more into His likeness. Thank you.
0: What a boy, man. Are you? Yeah. So we've got another one coming up. Come on, man. I must say, the goodness of God in everything, eh? Yeah.
2: Yeah. All right. Um, hello, everyone. So my name is Tinashe, um, Curly's husband. <laughs> Those were there last week. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so um, um, last week, I got baptized as well. Right. But um, there, there's a bit of a story behind that, okay? There's a bit of a, a journey. So um, I'm obviously not as young as the previous speaker. So um, I grew up in the Methodist church um, back in, in Zim. And um, I actually, um, you know, met the Lord there and had a relationship. And um, at about eighteen, nineteen, I actually got a form of baptism, all right? Um, I got sprinkled uh, with water, all right? And no offense, because really, and I don't want to delve into any theological minefield around that, okay? But... Um, I, and, and I was fine with that, okay. But when I moved over uh, to to SA, and I came to the father's house, uh, 2017 thereabouts, and uh, we used to have baptism here, you know, in in the church, and I would see people getting um, immersed in water, and you know, I started asking. So, okay, what did I do? Why is this different, <laughs> right? Why is this different to what I thought I had actually done? And then I actually remembered uh, at some point uh, hearing a teaching about baptism that actually the word baptism in the Bible, when you, you know, in the Greek where it comes from, um, it actually means baptizo, right? Sorry for the theologians if I'm going <laughs> to, right? Baptizo, which means to immerse um, or to, to make fully wet or to dip. And I was like, okay, I got sprinkled, <laughs> right? <laughs> the, the, that wasn't exactly what happened. So um, then in 2021, uh, my wife got baptized. She decided to get baptized here as well. Uh, because well, in her case, it was an infant baptism and, you know, so so she really felt that she needed to do it on her own accord. But I was still asking those questions and still not fully convinced that I need to get baptized, <laughs> you know. And then um, then the announcement came this year to say, guys, if you'd like to get baptized, you know, you're more than welcome to do that. And this time, the, the calling was, was much, you know, greater. I, I needed to, to do it. I really felt this is a time for me to actually do it the right way as far as my personal conviction was concerned. And funny enough, uh, Gurley... Also felt that way, right? In fact, she tried to convince me even before, <laughs> right? but it still wasn't working. But this time, I really felt okay. And when she confirmed, I said, "This is it. I need to actually get baptized because I understand the importance of baptism, what it means for us as believers. You know, that public proclamation, and also uh, just you know the whole idea of um, dying with Christ and then rising with Him again. And I thought that that that's missing. That's actually not there." So, yeah, so then I got baptized and um, on the day of baptism, Pastor Tim just gave us a, a tip to say, just listen to what God might say. You know, I mean, you know, uh, God spoke to Jesus when he got baptized. Just look out for what he's going to say to you as well. So um, as um, it was a, quite a cloudy day, those who remember what happened last, it was quite a cloudy day uh, on Sunday last week. But at some point, the sun came out as we were actually getting baptized. And so the way God speaks to me is through uh, recalling scripture, right? The the word comes back to me. And so um, the word that came uh, back to me was actually Psalm 84, verse 11, where, um, you know, the, the word says that the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. And so at that point, I really felt that God is saying that to me, that yes, I am your son, I am your shield. And I'm just looking forward to this new journey, which I believe now has actually started in the right way. So I really thank God for that. And thanks, Pastor Tim and the church for that. Thank
0: Didi's got his shorts on. We've got a hold slide. Anyone else wants baptism? Go see that guy. (laughs) We are going to release all the Shine kids. Um, If you are here, go have an awesome, amazing time next door. Um, And we're going to see you guys soon. Those of you who are visiting for the first time, we're not chasing the children out. (laughs) Okay. They have Shine next door, um, three and up, and they do some amazing stuff. Over there, so it's really awesome to see them all there., Ooh. so yeah, so we just give them opportunity to leave, and as they are leaving, um, we are just going to go through some announcements, so if you are here for the first time, listen if you 've not filled out the card or if not given a card feel free to raise your hand and we'll organize one for you, man. Um, you literally fill out your details and we connect with you um, just to let you know our services, things you can get involved with. So if you are new and you have not received that card, I know I'm going to put you on the spot by saying, hey, raise your hand. If you don't want to, it's fine. Come and see Didi. I'm going to send everyone to Didi today. Um, go and see Didi. Um, and this is Didi, by the way. It's because he's got his shorts on today. <laughs> um, see Didi, and he'll be able to give you the right channels of um, what we're doing. Um, as you know, we love celebrating birthdays. So um, we are a church that's all about birthdays. So have a look over there. Oh, Ty it's your birthday. Where are you? And Tanya, where are you? I'm gonna put you on the spot again. There you are, Tanya, the second time. It's Tanya's birthday, guys. Look at her there, one. Wow, <laughs> 23, she said. 23 plus some years of experience, which is amazing. But to all of those celebrating birthday, hey, Darren, it's your birthday also, bro. Multimedia guy, come on, somebody. Um, and oh, Auntie Samantha, where are you? Where are you? I saw you. If you want milk talk, hey, speak to that lady, nah. She can organize, but you must obviously pay for it. But she can get you a liquor maltart there. Um, it's not that I'm punting the maltart, but it was liquor. <laughs> still is liquor. You'll get you a maltart there for her birthday. It's good. But um, to all of you, happy birthday there. And obviously, for those of you who don't know, right after the service... Um we're having a family picnic after the service here, eh? Yeah. For the three people that's gonna be there, it's gonna be good. <laughs> okay. Um for the rest of you, shame. Um but we're gonna have a lot of fun. Um also Mike, don't forget we're having the family picnic after the service. <laughs> you know? Um also also the rest of you, please note um I didn't go shopping. So I'm coming to say hi. Just, you say rounds, I say highs. You know what I'm saying. Sounds better that way. (laughs) But yeah, um, moving forward, we've got a classics um, Christmas lunch happening. Um, So for those of you who are 60 and plus, um, please feel free to contact the church office, register for the classics lunch. It is free of charge, so you will see me there as well. (laughs) Just saying. Um also, we'll be having our final parenting workshop for the year. Um, I don't... Oh, by the way, I just want to echo. Listen, the classics, they meet faithfully in this church, and they are such grandparents um, to our young people as well um, that I think it's amazing that we get to celebrate them Um, and not only in the church but in life Um, grandparents just bring a different dynamic to family don't you think so um, I really want to encourage you if you know of someone send them man you know just send them speak to Bertram you'll freak him out but send them (laughs) send them all to this amazing lunch Um, and listen just say Marlon said so All right, I'll get into trouble later (laughs) Yes. Oh, uh, 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 uh. do not send me the ball. <laughs> we'll take it up with the Lord. Anyway, um, then the parenting workshop. If you don't know, we've been running amazing parenting workshops throughout the year, every six weeks, and these are basically tools that equip you to not only do life with your kids, but also. Um, I'm going to be honest here. It's also for grandparents. Um, these tools are not just teen specific or kid specific. These tools are really for a parent. So, whether you're a single parent, whether you're um, co parenting, whatever, you are a parent. So I really want to encourage you, come to these things. They really are amazing. It is the last one for the year. I'm also going to be there because I'm supposed to look after your children How are you then. <laughs> um, I will be there for that also. Um, but I want to encourage you, it's the last one for the year. And the topic there is how to survive the holidays. Um, and I think that's a big one, right? Because there are a lot of people and parents... That also feel alone during this time. So please, um, if you can make it, come. It really is amazing. Um, Chave and Lynette heads that up. Let me next door, so I'm going to point to Chauvet over there. Come and speak to her, and she'll give you more details. But it's amazing. Um, it's right after church. So you can come here, and then you just want to stay here, grab a coffee, and then you come back, and then you just chill with us as well. But it's an amazing time. And also, for those of you who love Alice um, Navidad, we're having a Christmas carols. Hallelujah. Oh, my goodness. We're having shush shush carols. <laughs> Christmas carols. Christmas carols is um, is where you take Jesus and you say the world thinks that they can leave him out, but we put him in. All right, so we don't do Christmas carols here. We do Christmas carols for Jesus. Um, it was a long weekend. It was it was very hectic. Um, ah, it was a long weekend. Doing the ministry of the Lord, obviously. Um, it was. But it's Christmas. Not Christmas. Um, the most important thing, though. Let's stick to the most important thing. It's on the 10th of December. Alright? At 5? Year 9. Shishmash carols! It is 5, yes. Wow. Even those people look sad. Hectic. <laughs> Shame, man. Wow. Alright. We'll send out the email. No? Yeah, we'll send out the email. So, um, the people at church are also normal humans. Just so you know. But really, they do look sad, eh? <laughs> Jose, Jose, hello. Um. Anyway, we moving along. Next announcement, please. Thank you. Okay, cool. Connect nights. Let's all just focus again. <laughs> Jose, um, connect nights. Um, unfortunately, next week is also the last one for the year. So um, we're quite sad about that because it's been a good two months of Connect Nights. For those of you who don't know what it's about, it's literally people coming together and having a good time. It's like a jaw, basically. But the only difference is we don't have music, we have words. You get me? So you talk. <laughs> That's the jaw. But we're actually having a bring and share um, for the last one of the year. And it's literally to connect with people, hang out with them. And so that you are excited. And Didi will be sharing maybe the news for next year. He won't be sharing. He will be sharing. He's going to decide if he wants to share. <laughs> okay, you're going to eat. I will speak to him on Tuesday about that. <laughs> but he will share. So Connect mats Wednesdays at 7. Amazing Wednesday. Then we have a lot of stuff happening at this church that's regular. Um, youth every Friday. Um, whoa. Not every Friday, only till the eighth. <laughs> Let's just clarify. Um, till the eighth, youth will be happening. Ladies meeting every Wednesday. Aunt Veronica, are you yeah? No, she's not. Um, she's Krishmushing in carols. <laughs> um, she's sorting me out there. But ladies meeting every Wednesday. Um, amazing ministry that happens. A nice place to meet. Also, we have healing streams. Um, again. I think some of the nonsense we make and it seems like, you know, um, but healing streams is really about finding freedom in Christ. That's really what it's about, right? So I want to encourage you and listen, it's for everyone. Young, old, in between, uh, wherever you consider yourself, Healing Streams is a really good place to go. Um, Contact the office. Um, It's just an appointment for administrative purpose. It's not like, ooh, we see you. It's literally administrative purposes, but there's amazing freedom that happens in that ministry. Um, And you don't have to wait until there's problems. You can also just go because you want to spend time with Jesus. All right? I really want to encourage you that. So um, contact the office and get that going. Um, we also have marriage counseling um, or just general counseling with Jose and Cheryl. I will be going to someone else because <laughs> you outed me. I'm going to go about you. Um, so if there's anyone else that does counseling, hit me up. I've got to talk. Paolo, I'm coming to you about Jose. <laughs> this guy. Um, but um, really an amazing couple doing amazing things, Um, so please, again, not to say that there's problems, right, we are family that love one another, and we always want to make sure that relationships are healthy, Um, and this is one of the keys, so the channels we have is to main things that are healthy, Um, and that's really what we want to do. I have been asked or requested that I mention Moms Connect. Um, They had, is it the final one for the year? Oh, man. Um, All the ladies that are mommies, um, and again, mom, meaning if you are investing in a child, right? Um, They've been having Moms Connect every last Saturday of the month. And Samantha was there with a milk tart. That's why I was there. <laughs> I just came for the milk tart. Because um, obviously I was not a mom. can't <laughs> connect. But it was really good to have an amazing time. And next year, they'll be kicking that ministry again. So if you're a mom, and you just want to connect with other moms and complain about your kids, um, not me, go there, <laughs> okay? Um, and you want tips on how to discipline them um, in terms of like, Good discipline, or Danny Salk them, you know what I mean? (laughs) Um, Contact them um, and connect over there. And then the 3rd of December, that Sunday, we're actually having a Thanksgiving service on the 3rd of December. Um, We want to thank God not only for everything He's done this year but also for what he's been doing in this church and within our people. And we also really want to thank those who are serving um, in our church and for the people. So um, our Thanksgiving service on the 3rd of December is really about thanking God for what he's done, but also how he's moving the church. Listen, we're able to share stories of every ministry in this church of how God has been doing amazing things, from youth to shine to worship um, to the classics. Um, There's a lot happening in this church, um, and we don't always have the platform to share because we'll be here the whole Sunday. But I do want to encourage you, the 3rd of December, bring your family, because we're not only going to celebrate what he's been doing, but we're also going to celebrate how faithful he's been in your life as well. So um, come along on the 3rd. We're going to have family worship again, so the kids will be here flushing away and stuff. Um, come and join us. It's really going to be good. Um, and I want to encourage you. Please note that we are not saying it's thanksgiving for um, the sake of just thanking God. Like I said, we're celebrating His faithfulness through the hard times this year. We're also celebrating what He's doing in the lives of people and those who faithfully serve. Um, as the Father's house, we're really thankful for people who serve men. You know, we're really excited about that. So come and join us for that. And then we do have corporate prayer every Sunday before the service. Our service starts at 9, corporate prayer is at 8.30, amazing time of ministry, Um, and all that we do is we just spend time with God, really, um, we just spend time with Him. I do want to have one request, though, um, for those of you. Um, Normally, we spend time in prayer for about 20 minutes, um, which is really good, it's really amazing. Um, So if you are arriving before 10 to um, I know. Listen, yo, you guys love to care, no? But you guys are loud when you care, man. Like, there's just an excitement that builds up. Um, I just want to ask and remind you that um, as we are praying and you are entering, um, if you don't take your excitement down, but just like tune it to Jesus, you know. So, um, like, just be like as you come in, ah, Hallelujah, praise God, <laughs> and then you just like walk in with us. Um, just because, yeah, man, it's it's. For lack of a better word, sometimes we are distracted. That's really it, you know. Um, So please, if you can be mindful of that, we'd really appreciate that as well. And that is me. We're going to just quickly pray for the tithes and offering. Um, And I hope I didn't forget anything else. There will be coffee after the service for our picnic. Praise God. Um, So for the three people who are here. Come and join me. Yeah, um, We can have some coffee. So Lord, we just say thank you that you are good. Thank you that we're able to use what you've given us unto your glory, Lord Father God. Thank you that you always provide. You're always faithful. And I just pray for every family represented here, Lord Father God. Whatever they give, may it be unto you, Lord Father God. May it be unto you. So we pray that um, these funds will just be multiplied for your kingdom. We pray that the provision would be overflowing, Lord Father God, and that your storehouse would never run dry for us, Lord Father God. In your name, amen. Thank you so much, Charles. And I will call on, um, do I call you Dr. Reverend Bishop Arch, guy of the theology in notes? Hi. Um, <gasps> No, that is, wow. Mike and I have similar problems in life. We're short, bro. Can you see him? I tried for you guys. You, they can't see you, bro. They Blessed. Oh, sorry. He's going to walk around for you guys. Bless him, man. Thank you, Mike. <laughs>
3: Okay, we're on. Well, let me just have a look. I might ask for it up again, but yeah. No, that's okay. Good. Okay. So, let me just get this where I need to get it. Okay, so um, Tim said, uh, you know, it's 40 to 50 minutes, so... 10-2, but it's gone to past, so blame Marlon, sorry. I will finish 22 quarter to, you know, just be ready. I was planning to finish half past 22, but I can't cut this now because we don't have time. So um, this is really an important topic, and I'm not going to be moving around because I've just put it all in the notes, and it's going to be like a lecture, sorry, apologizing ahead of time, and I'm just going to stay focused here. But I hope it's not boring, because it's so important. Um, about three weeks ago, Tim asked me, like, okay, won't I do something on Israel? And I said, oh, I'm not even sure what I think about Israel. I'm not sure if I'm the, the right person, you know? And he said, that's precisely, you know, the whole thing. So over the last three weeks, just been looking through... I mean, I had my ideas, because I've read the scriptures, and I had my fixed idea. I said, but now let me go and look at the books. And I got about 20 books out, um, and, and, you know, there are books on four views on Israel, you know, Muslim views on Israel, and that's... And I looked through them, and it didn't change my views much, so I was encouraged in being able to just look at the Bible and say, sure, you don't miss it. But I've called today Israel, the Church, and the Bible. And we're just going to go through that. Um, so it is a lecture, and I'm going to just be fixed here, and, you know, if I, I'll try and remember to look up a bit. So it's not a normal preach... <laughs> But it's just, is so important. So let me tell you what I'm not going to be talking about. I'm not going to be talking about Palestine and Hamas and Israel, important as that is, and so vital. And I'm not going to be discussing in detail all the main theological options, important as they are. Like thinking of some of the theologies, like millennialism, you know, it's actually only in Revelation 20 that you get the thousand years, but there's a whole doctrine that's come out of it. But basically, there's a thousand-year reign of Christ that's mentioned, and what does that mean? And there's three positions, pre-millennial, post-millennial, amillennial. And it's like, basically, if you premillennial, it, pre-millennial, it's that Jesus will come pre-the-millennial, which is kind of was the, the view of the, of the church early, and it kind of is not so optimistic. It means things are going to get worse and worse. And then Jesus comes. And then the reign of peace comes. Post-millennial is more positive. It's going to say the church is going to be so successful that there's going to be a reign of peace. And Jesus is going to come like the cherry on the, on the cake. And amillennial, which I think is a bit more what, what I am, is like kind of the millennial started. And it's more symbolic thing. And it's all mixed in together. But I'm not going to talk about that. Okay. And I'm not going to talk about the other theological thing. About the big thing is dispensational versus covenant theology. You know? And even that's got more complex because you get dispensational you get um, progressive dispensational you get covenant and progressive covenant the latest updates like Microsoft okay but, but the main thing is dispensational is very important okay because it actually is very focused on dispensations or, or periods and different things happen at different times so one of the key things of dispensation and this doesn't change whether it's the more progressive newer one or the older one is Israel and the church are distinct that's a big thing and um, they really l- interpret the Bible quite literally. And, th- and that's, that's the whole idea that comes out there. Um, and the millennium is important. So basically in dispensational theology, the thought is that God is working with the two people separately. Um, there's going to come, the church is going to be raptured, and then Israel is going to go through the tribulation. And then there's, it all comes together. And in the extreme old forms, even like Israel would permanently be in the, heaven, in the earthly kind of kingdom and, and the church would be in the heavenly, that's kind of dispensational. So when you're watching all these YouTube videos, you might think, wow, that's the truth. But you've got to think, what's the theology behind it? Yeah. And you've got to go back to the Bible. Yep. So um, what I'm going to be talking about mainly is Zionism versus... What's called replacement theology Okay And that's the big thing That's what I just felt Because that's what I think is in the church Like the church is kind of getting confused and divided Some Christians are saying But we need to like really be pro-Israel And shouldn't we be Shouldn't we blow the shofar at the beginning of church You know Shouldn't we bring back some of that stuff You know And others are saying No, it's, it's all the church The church now has totally replaced everything And so Um Replacement theology is basically that, that the church has replaced Israel. So almost like Israel disappears, and it's it's completely replaced by the church. It's also called supersessionism. Like, it's superseded by the church. Um, And, like, what does it look like? What do they look like in their forms, or especially in their extreme forms? What does replacement theology look like in its extreme forms? Well, there's a total neglect of the Old Testament... There's a total lack of respect for the history of the Jews. Um, Israel doesn't deserve the land at all. Um, it can become anti-Semitic, and it becomes like, you Jews blew it, now it's our turn. And the early church was, in fact, they called Jews, you the ones who killed Christ, and there was a whole lot of anti-Semitic stuff. So when you go to a, a Jew and you say, I want to tell you about Jesus, that's the Jesus they know. Okay. And, and that's the extreme form of, of replacement theology. But what is the extreme form of Zionism? It takes us back into the law. It's Israel is special in a certain way, no matter what they do, you just gotta be pro-Israel. And it starts to become superstitious and sentimental. You start to slowly bring back in those Jewish stuff. And then you start to say like, if you don't bless Jerusalem and that, you're gonna be cursed and and things like that. And it gets complicated. So, the thing, the main thing I want to say is, let me tell you how this is going to pan out, what I'm going to be looking at as quickly as I can. So please fasten your seatbelts and um, let's have a look here. If I, I will quickly want to just mention some basic biblical interpretation things, which is going to be relevant for all of this for your personal devotion, for whether you go dispensational or not, whether you're pro or anti-Zionist, how do you read the Bible? That's why I called it Israel, the church and the Bible. That's the main thing. And then I'm going to say out of that, I've chosen three kind of ideas or scriptures or that. And how do we see this in a pro or non-pro Zionist way? These three things. And the first one is the Abrahamic covenant. And the thing is That's an eternal covenant given to the Jews, so don't mess with the Jews. The other one is the land and Jerusalem. That was given to the Jews, an eternal covenant. You can't question that. And the other one is the priority of the Jews. It's first to the Jews, and then to the Gentiles. So these are the ideas that, when you hold these, you think, sure, I have to be really Zionist. And let's look at that in the terms of, quickly, these these ideas of biblical interpretation. So the first thing I want to mention is that, I'm just going to keep looking at my time, just, excuse me, it's a lecture mode, okay, so just bear with me. Um, The first, when I look at it, one of the most important things is, don't go beyond what is written. There's a verse that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 6, he says, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written, then you'll not be puffed up by being a follower of one of us over against another. So don't choose sides and don't do this. But in biblical interpretation, what the text says, it's what it says. Don't add to it. Don't take from it. Don't read it in isolation. Just don't. And and that's what it says in Deuteronomy 28 when God says, don't turn aside from the commands I'm giving you. Don't go to the left or the right. These are the commands. I knew what I was saying. Don't be more, don't do not Don't do less. And in Revelation 22, it says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of the scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described. And if anyone takes away from the scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in the scroll. So don't add to it, don't take from it. So whenever the Bible mentions something, it doesn't repeat everything, it usually mentions a part. And it expects you to go and put all the parts. But what we do is we take that part and we make it the whole. We see this example very clearly with Satan and Jesus in the temptation of the wilderness. Matthew 4, verse 67. Satan says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, the devil's quoting scripture. Everyone's quoting scripture. Everyone. And the funny thing is they're quoting the same scriptures. And I'm like, wow, you've both taken the same scripture for your position. That's amazing. Teach me how to do that. Um, And he will command, and you will lift up their hands so you will not strike your foot against a a stone. He's quoting Psalm 91. Okay, and that's the thing. That's our promise. That's our covenant. And then Jesus answered him. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. It's also written. So what is the biblical truth? God will protect you, but don't put God to the test. It's not a blank check to be presumptuous. But it, it doesn't say that in Psalm 91 because it's kind of like, not the points. The focus is on God's going to protect you. But it doesn't mean that you're not meant to be presu- not presumptuous. Yes. So all of scripture is like this. On, yes. And when we see this polarization, it's because people have done this. They've taken one thing and ignored other things. So we, we have to hold things. Um, another thing is take what is figurative. We make it literal. We take what's in part, we make it in whole. We take what's not precise. It says in Corinthians 13, we see unclearly, it's vague, and we make it precise. We see that. And, you know, that's what we've done. So when I look at these doctrinally entrenched positions, I say, you've done that. You've done what the scripture says you shouldn't do. So we have to hold things in mystery. And we have to interpret things and see what is achievable in the different areas of our life and this side of eternity and what's not. And we have to look at every single scripture and honestly ask if it's ambiguous or definitive. Yeah. Is it ambiguous or is it definitive? And when you build doctrines on something that is not 100% clear, you're gonna get into trouble. So we've gotta be slow to build up these systems, whether it's Calvinism, dispensationalism, Zionism, ismism, and you build it up and then it locks you in. And every single bit of information, you interpret it through that grid. And you stay in that grid. And it's hard to break out of that. And Jesus struggled with that. Did he struggle? To try and get them to move from the old covenant to the new. They were locked in. And we see that. Um, so, it comes back to Jesus. We have to hold things in, co- in, in, in context. And we have to avoid false dichotomies. So, are you for or against Israel. Choose. What do you mean? Isn't there another choice? You know? So I'm not so sure that Israel's meant to have that whole land. Oh, so you're anti-Semitic. Like, you you know what I'm saying? Um, We've got to open it up. And when we're interpreting, we've got to look at our personal stuff. We've got to be honest about our agendas. About our worldview. About our history. About our vested interest. And we see this when you're having this debate about Zionism. People get, whoa, what's happening there? <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and that's the hardest thing about interpreting the Bible. It's not getting the facts. It's getting your heart right. Where you are willing to go? Where God is taking you with that. So we've got to look out for these emotional red flags. And another thing is just take it out of the abstract into the real, which is my problem because I'm very abstract. This is about real people and real suffering. You know, they are real Jews who've had their lives turned upside down. And they're real Palestinians, you know? And, you know, you can have orthodoxy, but if you don't have the right heart, you're not going to have the truth, you know? And we can't take sides like this. Um, It has to be grounded in the truth. So, you know, I'm going to quickly... Challenge a simplistic biblical interpretation. Let's look at this verse and I'm going to ask you: Hosea 11:1 to 2. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the bowels and they burnt incense to images. Who's that talking about? The Jewish people. Right. How does the New Testament interpret this? Matthew 2:13 to 15. It says, um, you know, the Lord appeared to Joseph, get up, take the child and his mother, escape to Egypt, stay there until I tell you. Herod's going to search for the child to kill him. So they got up, took the child, and led for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. The New Testament quotes that verse. And out of that verse, you're saying that was Jesus. Wait a minute. This is crazy interpretation. Um, You know what I'm saying? So, when you go to the New Testament, the Old Testament says, No, but this was promised to the Jews, it's fulfilled literally. But in the Old Testament, that Hosea scripture was about the physical Jewish people who were behaving very badly. And the New Testament says, The ultimate thing is that was Jesus. And I called my son out of. So, the definition is Jesus more than the people. And another example is let's look at Elijah, Malachi. And this is the big thing. When you're talking to Jews, these are the scriptures that are in their minds. They're waiting for the Messiah. And they're saying Jesus is not the Messiah because these scriptures have not been fulfilled. Because when the Messiah comes, we will have all of Jerusalem. We will not be dominated. These things will not be. There will not be suffering and all of this. So Jesus is not the Messiah. You can see how the interpretation affects everything. And this is a kind of scripture in Malachi Surely the day is coming, it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. This is Malachi 4, verse 1 to 6. Not a root or branch will be left to them. And now John the Baptist picks them up. He says the axe is at the tree. And then he says, remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children, and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. So they're looking for Elijah. And they were even saying, is Jesus Elijah? Is John, who's who's Elijah? And they said, okay, the Messiah has not come because Elijah has not come. So they were interpreting the Old Testament literally. But this is what Jesus says. And this is the authoritative interpretation. (laughs) Jesus, he says, Matthew 11. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied unto John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So that blows literalistic interpretation of the Old Testament out of the water. It, it, you just cannot. You cannot. The scriptures were made for God. God was not made for the scriptures. And I see what dispensational. No, but these things are promised. They have to be fulfilled. Physically, literally. This has to happen. The land must be restored. This must happen. That must happen. And we just have to do it. As if God says, okay, it was written, I must do it. You know, Elijah was prophesied, so I can't use John the Baptist. I mean, who is in control here? So God is in control, and that is how we interpret, through God, through Christ. And we can't just go say, it's written, therefore, it has to happen this way. Nothing, almost nothing happens the way we think, the way it was written, except in our fantasy systems that we construct And Jesus said, your teachings are just rules made up by men. He was speaking to the Pharisees, but I think he could speak to a lot of us. Your systems, your security blankets, and your things that you've worked everything out. Maybe it's right, maybe it's not. Maybe part of it is right. I don't know. Let's work it out. According to solid interpretation. So what I'm saying is a single verse cannot be where you get the truth. It's just not possible. And all these systems often revolve around a single verse. And the funny thing is, the different systems use the same verse. It cannot be. It all has to fit together. So, you know, have you ever seen that picture of that old lady, young lady in one, that psychological picture? And you're saying, is not the old lady, is not the young? It's like, you know. And sometimes the scripture's like that. God of wrath, God of love, God of... You know what I'm saying? Israel's chosen, Israel's... Israel. And you, you just have to keep returning to the scriptures. And, and that's why I just keep returning. And... I had this picture, it's like, you can't get it from any single thing, so you have to get it from the whole range, you have to keep going back through the scriptures, and you get a new issue, and then you have to go back again, and you read them in a different way, because suddenly, you're tuned to different things, and it was almost like heating up like five bowls of scent, and you have to heat them, and and then by the time you get there, the other one's gone cold, and you realize it's not something that one person can do on their own, and that's why we need a communal reading of scripture, and, and I thought it's also like bells, like you have to ring five bells and they harmonize in tune. But by the time you're running around, even if you could get to all of them and you hit the last one, the last one's gone. It's not humanly possible. But if we all add our bell and ringing it, the, the harmonious sound of the revelation of Scripture will come out. Come and it's not going to be in any one person or any one church, any one denomination or doctrinal system. It's in God. On, yeah. And that's the thing. So we submit to Scripture as we submit to God. We pursue scripture as we pursue God. We breathlessly catch up with scripture as we breathlessly catch up with God. When you find that you're not running and you're settled and you've chosen sides and you've got it all worked out, you've got to question yourself. When you can call your thing by a name that is not Jesus, whether it's Calvin or John Wimber or, or, or John MacArthur or dispensationalism, or Zionism, or anti Zionism, or supersessionism, or it's not Jesus. Those things may have something to contribute, but they must go to Jesus and let Him have the final say. Okay, so are we waiting for time? So here I'm going, I'm getting to the scriptures. Um, yeah. When when we, um, let's look at these three sets of scriptures and how they can be used for and against in terms of those interpretive principles. Don't go beyond what's written. Read it in context. Read it completely. Read it together. And how do these scriptures look when we look at these things? So the first one is the whole thing of the Abrahamic covenant. He made an Abrahamic covenant with the Jews. It's eternal, cannot be broken. I speak to people. I'm amazed at how it so easily rolls off. So don't question the Jews. And they just mentioned two scriptures. Pray for the beast of Jerusalem. That's it. That Jerusalem that the Jews now are trying to get back. That must happen. I say, go check your background and you'll see the theology that's making you, forcing you to be so strict in that. So the, basically, the, the covenant that God gave to Abraham is all the nations will be blessed in you, Abraham. Your seed will possess the land forever. Um, you'll be the father of innumerable people. Your name will be great, and then your enemies will be destroyed. Your enemies will become my enemies, and I always win. That's basically what God says to him. Ask Pharaoh. So, um, then, so let's look at that. The first time God gives a, when He calls him, he goes to Abraham in Genesis 12, and he says, "Go from your country, go, and your people, leave it all, and to the land. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curse you, I will curse." All the people on earth will be blessed through you. And this thing is repeated several times throughout Genesis to Abraham. Genesis 12, Genesis 15, 17, 22. Abraham. He repeats it. He adds to it. But basically these things come out. Okay. And that's where the Jews saying, we are Abraham's children. And that is a covenant that's eternal. Um, and he repeats it to, to Jacob when he wrestles in 48. He repeats the same covenant. And... To Moses when he says leave this leave Egypt now go he repeats the covenant so the covenant is given and repeated and that's what the Jews have in their mind but now if we look at this I was thinking about this and I'm thinking based on this people saying we've got to defend Israel and their full claim to the land rights and their claim to to the, the city and all that I'm thinking this is a huge promise if you look at this covenant and it's a huge responsibility it's actually impossible And it cannot be achieved even with Zionism in its best possible form. It's not achievable. It's so big. It has to be beyond the structures of the Old Testament and our understanding. And that's what Jesus said when he talked about the new wine. You know, this covenant bursts everything in the Old Testament. It cannot be fulfilled there. So stop looking for limited people and that to fulfill it. And don't worry, we're not going to go to the other extreme of replacement. They mean nothing. No, what does this mean between those two? So it's a huge promise. Jesus said, Luke 5, 36 to 39, he told them this parable, no one tears a piece of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one, thanks for that.
0: Um, one wife.
3: Is there... I'm looking for a check. Is there a check there? <laughs> I know where my bread is buttered, brother. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so, no one tears a piece out of an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new government, the new garments, the new covenant and all the promises, the essential promises in, in there... And the patch from the new will not match the old. Don't bring the old covenant back into the church. Okay. Um, And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. And the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, the new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new. For they say the old is better. It's exactly what is happening. We don't want Jesus, you know. Um, So, the point about it is that... When you look at that, the Jews claim their rights according to Abraham. But before Moses, which is what the Jews you know, stand behind, there was Abraham. And before Abraham there was Melchizedek. And Melchizedek points to Jesus. And that's the thing. We have to read things in context. We can't just take them isolated. So let's take some New Testament readings of Abraham very quickly. In Galatians, he's speaking to the churches getting circumcised and going backwards. He says, you understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So it it relativizes an exclusive Jewish claim to Abraham. Then it says, carrying on in verse 16, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say and to seeds, mm. meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. So when we look at this, look at the land, I will give it to you and your seed. In other words, the fulfillment of the land is through Christ. And the new heaven and earth, and the meek shall inherit the earth. And this doesn't mean that Israel should not have a land and be protected and all of that. But it does mean you cannot simply go as everyone is doing, Jews and pro-Zionists and Zionist Christianity and saying, but it's written." in the Abrahamic Covenant, so they have to go and take the whole land. But already in the Abrahamic Covenant, it was already written that this would be surpassed. There was like a little clue in there. It's to your seed. And this is going to be temporary. So it's not nothing, and it's not everything. Um, so, So that's the New Testament looking at Abraham. And... Again, still in Galatians 6, it says, Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came and we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Okay. So when, when people are very pro-replacement and supersessionism, wanting to totally forget the Jews, they quote the scripture and, the, and, and um, Jews for Jesus and that say, no, that's not you're overusing that scripture. And it's true. Because though there's no male or female, there is definitely male and female. Right. You know, there's no rich or poor. There's definitely rich or poor. What does it mean? We are one in Christ. Is that a promise? I mean, we can't be legalistic and say it says there's no Jew or Gentile, so we can forget about any Jewish identity. That would be the same as saying there's no male or female. We can forget about any female identity. Everyone has to be patriarchal. It doesn't make sense. What does it mean? It means that your identity has no advantage in the ultimate purposes of God. Okay. You have, you have no advantage as a man before God. And, we have to say this more and more, you have no advantage as a woman. There's neither male nor female, but you're one in Christ. But of course our differences don't disappear, and we have to work this out. And the same with Jew and Gentile. They don't disappear, they are there. The Palestines are there, deal with it. The Jews are there, deal with it. The land issue is there, deal with it. But if we settle this big question that nobody has an advantage then we can start to see something. Yeah. So there is no Jew or Gentile. In the same way that there's no male or female. But there is very much male and female. Yeah. But it's secondary. The ultimate thing is Christ and our identity in Christ. Yeah. So, there's so many scriptures. I'm going to put all of this on my website. Okay, and all the scriptures. And I'm going to make a teaching series on this. So, don't worry about the scriptures. It's going to be there available. And just go and look and everything in order. I'm going to have to jump everything. But... Um, You know, it says in Hebrews 1, in the past, God spoke through the prophets, now through Christ. Um, And in Hebrews 3, it says, fix your thoughts on Jesus. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house is greater honor than the house himself. So it's about Jesus. Oh, does it mean we don't respect Moses, we trash Moses, we forget about Moses, and we forget about the Jews? No. But it's about the order of things yeah. and how everything fits together. And that's the challenge. That is the challenge. Um, in Hebrews, it talks, about his, it talks about Hebrews 7, how Christ was like Melchizedek, who was before even Abraham. Um, and now we start to look at Jesus. Who is this Jesus? Isaiah 9. Jesus is the only one who can fulfill the Abrahamic covenant. We can't. The Jews cannot be a blessing to all the nations, are they? They're being a thorn in the flesh and a source of trouble. The church can't. We haven't done it. You know, none of us have, but Christ has and will. And you can have as much participation as you want. But this is the one who is the fulfillment of all those promises given to Abraham. Jesus. Isaiah 9, Old Testament. For to us a child is born... To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That is the fulfillment of Zion. And the Jews fit in there. They're there. We can't go to replacement but nor can we go to zionism it has to be based in christ Mm, um in daniel 2 it talks about the king who will destroy every kingdom and last forever and in daniel 7 you know his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed so a lot of the arguments around zionism is those promises were given and they are eternal covenants eternal promises but this is the real meaning of the eternal covenant and promise. It's in Christ. And the Jews and Gentiles are included. And if you reject Christ, you are rejected. And it doesn't matter that you're Jewish. Sorry. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. Um, you know, rich or poor. It's about your response to Jesus. In John 5, Jesus said, If you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. And when they said in John 8. They challenged him. They didn't want it. They wanted the old wine. Are you greater than Abraham? Who do you think you are? Sure. And your, Jesus said, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you've seen Abraham. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Oh God, come on. I'm God. Yes. At this they picked up stones to stone him. Yeah. So, you know, when we go to Pro-Zionism. What happens is we actually start to treat the Jews as special people. And we let them off the hook of the challenge of the gospel. That's weird. Because the New Testament didn't do that. Why would we do that today? Well, because there's been the Holocaust. Because there's been so much challenge. Because there's been so much anti-Semitism. We think, well, let's help God out and offer a corrective. But God says, don't go to the left or the right. I don't need your help. Just stick to the main and the plain. Just obey what I've told you. I will work it out. I will do it. And don't twist it because you don't want to suffer. And that's what Paul said. People are getting circumcised not out of conviction to avoid suffering. It's a challenge. So, John the Baptist, when he's speaking to them, he knew he was fulfilling Malachi. In Matthew 3, he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. So that, again, relativizes those claims. If God has not forgotten the Jews, not at all, we'll look at that, but they come through Christ. They are, I don't believe there are two covenants. I don't believe there's two people. I just don't. Even though dispensational stuff does, so what? It only matters if the scriptures really say that. Um, now, the second one was the land, Jerusalem, and the temple. I'm going to cut that out. I'm not going to look at that. Because I want to go to the last one. And I don't have time. But this is a conversation. And on my website I always have a forum. Where people can join and we can discuss this. This is a process. It's not about a quick fix. A scripture here and a scripture there. This is hard. And there's no simple solutions. Otherwise there wouldn't be so many strong movements. Outside and within the church. I mean it's not like the church as pro Zionists Isn't really Christian. And doesn't love Jesus. They do very much and the church that's more replacement, you know. That, no, everyone's just trying to work the site. It's not simple. So the thing about the land, quickly, I'm just going to do a quick one-minute thing of this. It, when it says, I'll give it you the land, well, what is the land? Are we going to give the Jews so little when God has promised us the whole earth? Wow. Yeah. When God has promised us the new heaven and earth? Are we going to give the Jews just a little strip of land in their own little thing, hiding away? Is, it, is God like that? That he, he says, well, these are my Jewish people and they have a covenant. And I'm going to, all the promises will be fulfilled. And I have my Jewish people. Why would God have favorites? Now, he may, he could do that. God and his sovereignty, could do that, but it makes no sense. So, the fact that it makes no sense isn't important. But if it's not clearly established in scripture, then it becomes important. If God clearly said in scripture, this is my purpose and I'm going to do this and it's clearly there in the same way that he has clearly said that Jesus is the only way to have your sins forgiven and be reconciled to God. It makes no sense, but that doesn't matter because God has said it and I experience the reality of it. But if you come and said, well, God has two covenants and one for the Jews and it's not clearly in scripture, then my sense that it makes no sense becomes important because it's not overridden by authoritative scripture. And it actually becomes important that it makes no sense that God has two people. It doesn't make sense. Who's getting schneid here? Is that a bad word? Sorry. Is that Jewish? It's Yiddish. Huh? Forgive me. Oy vey. Right. Um, the point is, either the Christians are getting second best or the Jews. Why would God give second best? He has promised the earth to everybody. Um, so, we're going to skip that. The last one. Is just quickly when it says the capital, Jerusalem, and they're all fighting for that. There's so many scriptures in the New Testament that talks about the heavenly Jerusalem. Those in the physical Jerusalem are slaves, but the one in the Jerusalem that is from above. So, the fact that the Bible talks about two kinds of Jerusalem relativizes strict claims of that physical Jerusalem being fulfilled. Does it make sense? If there was ever only one Jerusalem talked about in scripture, and it was only ever talked about in a physical way, then those claims and promises about the physical Jerusalem would have weight. Yeah. But the fact that it starts to talk about a heavenly Jerusalem, they were looking to their home from above. And even Jesus before Pilate said, if my kingdom was of this world, I would fight. I could call down 70,000 angels now, Pilate. But my kingdom's not of this world. So it, it kind of we have to put that in the pot as we think about all this. Last point about this thing about the priority of the Jews the priority of the Jews and this is a strong one um, Romans 1.16 I'm not ashamed of the gospel because of the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew then to the Gentile and that's where you get a lot of the pro-Zionist kind of thing it's first to them okay so we second how does it work so are the Jews first place in the podium and then we holding big brother's hand which is how they talk about it we must honor the Jews, we must respect our older brothers, all of this. And, okay, the Bible says give honor where it's Jew, but not where it's not Jew. So, um, and there's a lot of talk about Jesus was a Jew. You know what I'm saying? They talk about the Jewishness of Jesus and all that. And when you're talking about the Israelis... They don't want to become Christians, but they're very clever. And they say, Yo, but Jesus was a Jew. He was our most famous Jew. And, that, and he's trying to, they're trying to get the Christian support and remind them Jesus was a Jew. But before Jesus was a Jew, he was the eternal son of God. Come on. Yeah. He's not just the offspring of David. Revelation says he is the root and the offspring of David. And when the Jews were only looking for the offspring of David, they missed it. They could not put the two together. He is the root and the offspring. And what is the greater? The root. The fact that he's the root is the defining thing about Jesus. Not the fact that he's Jewish. Okay, though that is important. So, you know, so the Jews are first. Absolutely. Absolutely. God chose the Jews first. But the Jews are not first, like, first place on the podium and then we there. They're not first, like, in terms of a bottleneck. Like, we got to, if it doesn't come right to the Jews, God can't bless anyone else. I kind of see it like a keyboard. And it's like God has all the notes open to him. He can play the Jews first. He can play the Gentiles. He can play anything. But he chose to compose this thing where he played that note, the Jews. That's good, eh? And the music has to resolve. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The dominant chord calls you back. And God goes to the Jews first because he says, I don't leave unfinished business. I don't make a promise that I don't fulfill. I will never give up on my remnants, Jew or Gentile. It's not like, okay, now I come to church and I totally forgot that I, made, that I have this Jewish people there. You know? like Nor am I going to say, well, I can't get to you with a new covenant until I sort these guys out. He's playing everything and it all fits. And oh, there's so much to say. I can't say it all. Um, but if you only look at the scripture, Matthew 15. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to Jesus, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. Send her away, his disciples said. He answered to the woman, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me. It's not right to take the the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. You know? It was clear. They were not in the covenants. So the Jews were first, but only because... God played that note first. Yeah. That note on the keyboard doesn't have any priority over any other note on the keyboard at all. God plays them in the order he wants, when he wants, and he's got a whole symphony that he wants to play all the notes in the way he wants. And and so elsewhere in John 10, Jesus said, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep end. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So, so when it's to the Jews first... Um, five minutes. I'll finish in five minutes. I promise. Um, let me just see. So, I'm just going to summarize it like this We don't know. <laughs> God has his eternal plans, and he does them as he wishes. And he sees everything. And he's in control of every nation. And he did something special with the Jews and is doing something special with the Jews. And has done something with the whole earth. So, you know, the key parts of this, we've talked about Galatians and um, Hebrews. You have to go to Romans. Romans 1 to 4. is Paul's writing to Jews and Gentiles and he's saying, none of you have an advantage All have sinned and fall short or justified. And then it says, but wait. And this is the thing. There are verses saying, what advantage is there in being a Jew? And Paul says, much in every way. There's is the covenant. There's the promise of Abraham. And that's where the Zionist thing comes in. They got all that, so we must go through there. And we should start celebrating the Sabbath and all of that again. And I was thinking about this, and this is my conclusion, and you can quote me. The chief advantage of being a Jew, and there is an advantage, as it says in scripture, theirs is the covenant, theirs is that. The chief advantage is that they, first of all, before anyone else in the whole world, would be able to realize that there is no advantage in being a Jew. That is the chief advantage. It's not any extra covenantal privilege or status before God. Because the Bible clearly says there's no Jew or Gentile. No one righteous. Not one. No one has an advantage. There's nowhere to come except through Christ. And they were the ones who should have known that. And when Paul, when Jesus said, I fulfilled the law. The old covenant is now useless. This is the new covenant. And it, again and again, I can't, the scriptures are here. But it says, according to the old covenants. According to the old covenant, the old covenant is replaced. According to the law and the prophets, Jesus says, Moses is not the one that you should be following now, but me. And that's why he said, Moses was happy to think about me. But you guys are fixated on Moses. Moses was a door to go through to get to me. But you fixated on the door. You closed it all, you locked it and you decorated and you bow down to that door. And that's what Jesus said to the Pharisees in in John 5. He says, you eagerly study the scriptures because you think that by them you have life. But these are the scriptures that testify of me and you refuse to come to me to have life. So going forward, what is God doing? God is doing what God does. (laughs) It says all things are being reconciled in Christ. That he is reigning until all his enemies are, are subdued. It says he is working in all things, working every single thing for the good. He's bringing everything in conformity to the purpose, to his purposes. Is he in the Middle East? For sure he is. Is he with the Jews? Yes, he is. Is he with the church? Yes, he is. He's doing everything. We mustn't second guess. We mustn't presume to say he's doing this and not that. He can do this, he can't do that. Unless it's absolutely 100% clear in Scripture. And apart from Jesus being the only way to have your sins forgiven and have you reconciled to God, I don't see too much... That's 100% clear. Yeah. Everything's up for, for discussion with God and being led by the Holy Spirit and that. And so, I, in Romans, in the first part of Romans 1 to 1, 4, it just says it's the equal. Then you go to Romans 9 to 11, which is a big chapter. And Romans 9, Paul says, I don't understand. The Jews, why have they rejected Christ? I, how, he's trying to grapple with this. But then he says, wait, I'm a Jew. So God hasn't rejected everyone. And he says, not everyone who calls himself a Jew is a Jew. So, so the real remnant hasn't been rejected. Right. And then it goes to Romans 11, where it starts to say, okay, actually the Jews were broken off, so you Gentiles could have a chance, and the full number of Jews will come in. That's where we take it legalistically and turn it into timelines and dispensational teaching. It's all it's saying is that God has worked with His remnant. And sometimes they're close, and sometimes they're far. And He will work with everybody in the correct turn, in the best way possible. And the, the, the conclusion of Romans 11... Is, is this. I'm just going to open up on my Bible and read that. We, I'm going to finish with that scripture. But basically, should we be f- for the Jews? Yes, because of the remnants. What about the rest? Don't care about God. Well, God will cover them too. Because God said about Solomon and Gomorrah, find me 10 and I won't destroy the city. And how can he not give anything for the, the whole community in which the remnants are embedded and take care of the remnants? He blesses the whole community through the remnants. Humanity, human rights, God is for that. The Bible says pray for everyone, pray for governments. Are all going to go to heaven? Do you all love him? No. But for the sake of the remnant, for the sake of the potential, you treat everyone as full of dignity. You treat all the Jews as full of dignity. You treat all the Palestinians. You're asking God to bring out the remnant in the Arabs, in the millennials, in the LGBTQ, in the Jews, in the church. Because the church is full of non-believers. You know, no one has an advantage except Christ. And and so, I've said so little um, of what can be said, but this is a start, an encouragement, invitation to question this in a way that goes beyond superficiality. Jesus said, you are looking on the surface of things. Make a right judgment. And at the conclusion of Romans 9 to 11, where Paul is working this out, going back and forth and saying, the Jews, they don't, but they're not even a Jew is a Jew, and I'm a Jew, and... They were grafted off, but they can be grafted back in, and they will fit because they were the natural branch, you know. But then he, he he says, "God has made everyone disobedient, so He can have mercy on everyone." That's what he says, and this is how it ends. And I'm going to end with this and pray. This has been the craziest sermon I've ever done. It's been an impossible task. Help me, Lord. Okay. <sighs> okay, so, you know, he's saying in Romans 9 11, read it in context. When he's saying the Jews will be grafted back in and, and they're, you know, and we don't turn that into a system, realize Paul is talking to the Gentiles now who are getting cocky. Think, okay, I'm going to talk to you guys. The Jews were first, etc. But when he's talking to the Jews, he doesn't talk about them being first. He's saying, you know, you have no advantage. But in the end, this is what Paul says, and this is the end, and then we pray. From verse 32. Um, For God has bound everyone over to disobedience, so that he may have mercy on them all. Oh, the depths of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you as Abba. I just think of how... When you were in Jerusalem, Jesus, you saw all the people and they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I see you just look at the whole world, Lord, the whole world, and you see we are harassed and helpless. And we are like headless. We have a whole lot of talking heads, spouting nonsense through all the media channels, but it's not helping. And it's not your voice, not your word that is purified seven times. And we cry out to you, Lord. We cry out to you. We pray and say, Have mercy. Come and visit us, God. Come and visit the Jews in the Promised Land. Come and visit the Palestinians. Come and visit the Arab nations. Come and visit your church, Lord. And help us to, to just cry out to you and be your instruments, Lord. We ask you for your mercy and we just lift the name of Jesus high the name that is above all names, above every power. An authority that can be given in this age or in any age. We declare the name of Jesus. Yes. And we don't understand. Some of us understand more in some areas and less than others. And some are strong in some and less in others. But we all desperately need you, Jesus. And we fix our eyes on you, yes. Jesus. Yes. The Alpha and the Omega. Thank you, Lord. Bless your church. Amen. 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 Amen.